Welcome to this podcast from Greater Boston on WGBH2. It is one in a series of interviews with authors conducted by Greater Boston host Emily Rooney. Our podcasts are made possible through the generous contributions of WGBH viewers and listeners like you. Thanks for joining us. And now, here's Emily. Washington Post Associate Editor Robert Kaiser says huge amounts of lobbying money has radically compromised our government and that the actions of special interests have dramatically increased the costs of running for public office. His new book is So Damn Much Money, The Triumph of Lobbying and the Corrosion of American Government. And Robert Kaiser is here. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. You know, I went back when I was going through the book. I thought it wasn't always like this. But no. there was this great transformation, which you go through with Tony Coelho, who's, right. of course, back at the Democratic National Committee. And when small amounts of money seemed like a lot, like six million, you know, to get people into public office. But suddenly, the public interest groups, the, the PAC committees, came in and changed everything. It's, it's an amazing confluence. You know, the, the technology of politics changed. That's the important first step. Candidates discovered that they could do polling to this, what, what should my commercials say, and you make these slick commercials, you buy time on the air to put them on, and suddenly the cost of running for office just goes through the roof. Uh, and it is stunning. I think a lot of good citizens haven't really paid attention to how much it's changed. I have a wonderful figure that in 1974, all the candidates for Congress, House and Senate, mm. 435 in the House and 33 in the Senate, spent about $50 million on their campaigns that, yeah. that year. And now people pay $50 million, spend $50 million on one campaign in Minnesota this year. Of course, that was so 40. long ago. I was trying to do the math on that yeah, figure. It's and I three times. It's, 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 the inflation is 300%. So it's still, I mean, it's just an amazing transformation. You know, but everybody admits, you have that wonderful quote from Bob Dole back in the yeah, 80s when yeah. he was running. He says, look, if a, a political action committee is giving you money, they want something in right. return. And the Democrats admitted as much. And yet people like to say, oh, well, I'm not going to take any money for a political action committee. <laughs> but you actually have to you if, you wanna get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get elected. That's right. And that, that's the tragedy of it, really. Because I mean, one of the things I discovered doing the reporting for this that I didn't realize is that it's now routine for a member of Congress or a senator to spend a day a week, mm -hmm. all year, all, all time he's in office, mm -hmm. on the telephone, telephone dialing for dollars. That's yeah, what they call it. And think of what it would be like to have to do that. And I've got a wonderful guy. I'd I wouldn't found, be good at it. I wouldn't either. <laughs> There's a, a, a fundraising consultant who's in the book who I found, Mike Frioli, mm -hmm. who said, you know, it's really tough. You get a lot of hang-ups. You get yeah. answering machines. You get people who say, why are you bothering me? And here's this distinguished senator, you know, making these phone calls. Yeah. It's really grim. Humility. Yeah, humility. Right. Well, you, you structure the book around a character, Gerald S. Cassidy, who is a unknown lobbyist. Of course, aren't they all until they become somebody like Jack Abramoff? Exactly. I mean, those names don't spill off of most American exactly. tongues. But here's a guy. He was really interesting. Grew up in a poor family. I mean, he didn't really have a family. Brooklyn, sort of a no nowhere kid, gets into law school, and he becomes this hugely successful. But how does he get there? He starts by working for George McGovern on the Senate Select Committee on Nutrition and Human Needs, the Hunger Committee mm -hmm. it was called in the yep. late 60s. And he's, he was and would call himself today a liberal Democrat, Jerry Cassidy. Mm -hmm. But he's a liberal Democrat worth more than $100 million because mm -hmm. of the success of his lobbying business and because he's a very shrewd investor mm -hmm. who wanted to get rich in a bad way and did so. He, he wanted to get rich, but I mean, wasn't he one of the guys who kind of figured out how to do it, as, as you yeah, tell his yes, tale, because absolutely. now, I mean, everybody thinks that being a lobbyist is a, is a ticket 
to being a gajillionaire like he is, but but he figured out the way to do it. Yes, and it, it's interesting to talk about it in Boston because a lot of it started right here. Uh, Jerry Cassidy and his original partner, his senior partner, was a guy called Ken Schlossberg, Schlossberg yeah. who lives in Boston yeah. now. Uh, Ken and Jerry's first big client was Jean Mayer, the president right. of Tufts University, mm -hmm. with a lot of help from Tip O'Neill, who represents the district that represented the district that Tufts is in. Uh, they came up with a plan for what I call in the book the first modern earmark. You know, the earmarks that John McCain ran against. Uh, they got money for the Human Nutrition Research Center, which is right down in Chinatown in Boston yep. today. Uh, then they got money for the Tufts Veterinary School out of the Congress, a special appropriation just for this particular purpose uh, at one place. Then BC signed up, and there's a Boston College buildings. Then BU signed up. John Silber made got scores of millions of dollars out of the Congress for BU projects. You know, even they admitted, if I'm not correct, in, in the book that they felt a little bit uneasy with the way they got Tip O'Neill involved. They went through his youngest son, Michael. And, uh, Ken Schlossberg, good for you. I mean, Ken Schlossberg was, was uncomfortable creepy. with it. Yes, yeah. it was a little creepy. And, but I mean, <clears throat> what's going to change? You look at what happened with, um, with Obama this week, you know, saying that nobody in his current cabinet can be a lobbyist while he is president, even yes. if they quit the cabinet. Yes. Is that really going to make the difference? You know, that's not a bad reform. It's not just the cabinet. It's any appointee of his administration. One of the, one of the worst aspects of this, from my personal point of view, just as a citizen, is that over these 30 years that I'm writing about, the expectation grew up in Washington that it was absolutely normal to trade in your government experience yeah. for a lucrative lobbying job. Yeah. And thousands of people did it. Thousands of former officials are today lobbyists, including almost 200 yeah. former members of Congress. And what Obama's order says is, if that's you, if you want to come into the government in order to punch a ticket that'll help you become a big lobbyist afterwards, you can't do that with me. Yeah, but that doesn't seem right. I mean, it, it's like being a public service, working for a DA's office or something like that, and then going to one of these big law offices as a rainmaker. I mean, it isn't necessarily the reason you did the first thing, but why, why should an administration block you? It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem well, American. Well, you know, this, <laughs> I, I mean, this is a, a fair point. I, the, the problem is, and Obama interestingly figured this out, he's only been in Washington for four years, but he has spoken publicly often enough about this culture of corruption that I, I sense a soul brother in Obama. Mm -hmm. He sees this the way I do, certainly. And he, he wants to break the culture. He wants to say, we're not going to have those expectations anymore. Public service is going to be for the public good and not to feather your own mm -hmm. nest. But you're right. I mean, that's one of the problems when you rail against lobbying is that you're railing against the First Amendment of the Constitution. Yeah. Lobbying is a protected function. Yeah. It's a free market, <laughs> but it's also, you know, the right to, mm -hmm. to petition the government for redress of grievances. Mm -hmm. That's what lobbying is sometimes, often. I mean, it's understandable why the government has taken actions about the kinds of things that Jack Abramoff did. But I'm curious about Jerry Cassidy now. First of all, is, how does he feel about how he came off in the book? And uh, He hasn't told know, me. How does he <laughs> I, I brought him a copy of the book just a few weeks ago when it first came out. Uh, and I, you know, I said, you're not going to like all this. No, no, how could but, you? <laughs> uh, but I hope it, when you've gotten to the end that you'll see that it was a fair and serious effort to figure you out in your business. Uh, and I, and I said, I, I, you know, please call me. I'd like to talk mm. to you when you're finished yeah. reading it. He said, I will. I'm going to call you. So we'll see what Why happens. Why do you agree to it? Why do you agree to it? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, it was an interesting experience. I, I decided I wanted to find one lobbyist, because mm -hmm. if you have one good character to mm -hmm. tell a story, Absolutely. it's much better. It's spoken like uh, a true newsman. That's right. <laughs> and he's, he is interesting because he tried to take his firm public. He was the first lobbyist 
to try to take a, mm -hmm. take a firm and you know sell shares to the public in his lobbying firm. It didn't work out. But when he did that, he had to put on the record uh, a document called an S-1 at the Securities and Exchange Commission, which was a very vivid and detailed description of his business. And it was a roadmap for a reporter. It was terrific to see. You know, he really gave away a lot of his trade secrets. So I went to see him after I discovered this document and, and read it and carefully. I said, he said, why are you picking on me? And he named several other lobbyists. He said, why don't you pick on Joe mm -hmm. or Fred or Mike? And I said, well, you're the only one who did this you know, thing with the S1. And you told, you gave me a roadmap. Yeah. You invited me to do it. He so explained I'm, it. And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> but he, he was interesting. He, you know, Washington players have egos. Yeah. As you said at the top of the show, he wasn't well known. Yeah. He still isn't well known. Yeah. I mean, so I made him a little better known. But uh, he liked it, clearly the idea that I was going to pay so much attention to him. Uh, you know, if he was here and you said, do you regret cooperating with Geyser, he'd probably say yes. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, uh, almost like not a road, plot, road right. map to jail or something like but, that. But he, no, he, <laughs> yeah. there's no jail. Yeah. Nothing in here is going to send him to yeah. jail. And he's always, I mean, you know, he's pushed the edge of the envelope repeatedly, mm -hmm. as he would admit. But he's always tried mm -hmm. to be on the right side of the law. And I have no evidence that he's not always mm -hmm. been. All right. It's fascinating. So damn much money. Bob Geyser. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast, one in a series of interviews conducted by Greater Boston host Emily Rooney. We invite you to watch Greater Boston weeknights on WGBH2 at 7 p.m. and again at midnight. The program is also available through Comcast On Demand.